You're listening to episode two of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, blame the consultants. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. And we're going to be talking about leadership in organizations. Leadership in organization happens at all levels and takes many forms. Change can't be managed in the way that people traditionally think about managing things, which means controlling them and mapping them them and following the plan and and all of that kind of thing. that, you know, at best we can steer change a little bit, (laughs) influence, but whenever I hear anybody talk about managing change or driving change or, you know, any of those kind of very predictive, control-oriented language around change, it just makes me laugh now. And there are a lot of people who haven't even understood that, change is a thing in organizations or that organizations can think more strategically um, about how they um, how they would how they would like to change or what what parts of their organization they would like to make changes in or any of that kind of stuff that I guess I'm willing to say okay it's change me <laughs> Right. <laughs> Which is how we talked about it 20 years ago, right? Right. But um, but so, given that, right. yeah, let's have the conversation. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and, you know, in fairness, I, I think that the reason pe- people believe that change can be managed right. is that when, when organizations first started really getting into this kind of work... Right. I think the consulting field uh, really is to blame for right. for giving people that impression because that was the language right. that that was used that were that was the the, the kind of modeling that was put out there right. um, and people got indoctrinated with the idea that that was possible right. and then even when some of the gurus of that kind of thinking recanted a little bit and recognized that yeah. oh it wasn't quite that that um step by step right they they talked about being oh a bit more flexible but they still essentially had a model that implied right a kind of master plan right without Really being able to say honestly what I think they knew because right. we knew because right. we could see it that the whole process is so iterative because you can't possibly know right. until you make this little change what the right. the 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 outcome is going to be and that that outcome then shapes and influences what you're going to do next what you're going to do next. You know, I I think about that sometimes in terms of I I buy something new for my house and I think, oh, I'm going to put it on the mantle. And I put it on the mantle and then I realize that now that I've made that change, 
everything else in the room needs shifting because it's out of balance. And I don't know that sometimes beforehand, but I ought to know by now that every time I make a change, it's going to demand other changes. I may not know what they are right. until I do take that first step. Right. But I've proven it to myself over and over and over. But there's a part of me that doesn't want to believe that because right. I want to think, I like that thing. I can just bring it home and plop it down and there it will be and it will be happy and it will play well with everything else. Right. Wrong, right. wrong, wrong, wrong. But there's something in me that still, that still wants that certainty because it's a lot of work to think about and a lot of time to think about. Right. Oh, I have to, now I have to move this and I have to modify that and blah, right. blah, blah. Well, and you can't even figure all of those things out in advance of, anyway. I can't. Right. No way. I, I, you know, you use that analogy. The one that I like is the idea in, in the agile world. Uh, part of the, the thinking about moving from uh, a plan-driven waterfall kind of way mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of developing software to an agile, more iterative way is the my words, not anybody else's ludicrousness <laughs> of thinking that you can know everything there is to know about how this software needs to look when it finally gets delivered, what it needs to do, how it needs, you know, what the interface needs to be, all of those things when you are absolutely the most ignorant right. Right. about it, which is right at the beginning. Right. If it's not a learning process, it's worthless. Yeah. Right. And 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 but we but we want to have that idea. And of course, there are all these quotes about you know planning is every the, the plan is useless. Planning is everything, which is variously attributed. And and yet we need to have some kind of frame. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not a step-by-step plan, but if we're going to embark on something in an organization that mm-hmm. may involve 500 to 200,000 people or right. something, or even a smaller organization where it's only going to you know, affect 12 people, in any, at any of those scales, um, we, you still have to have a frame within to put it. To, 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 be, to be able to think about it. I mean, we have to have some boundaries on our thinking. Um, right. Unbounded thinking. Well, uh, that would get us nowhere. Gets us nowhere. And so if we can't have a step-by-step change plan, uh, first we'll do this, then we'll do that, we, will, we can predetermine what the outcomes of each of those things will be so we know what the next step is. If we can't do that, but we can't leave it completely unbounded either. Where is the middle ground? How do we frame this question of what's, what's the right thing to do? We cannot stay where we are. We need to move into a new future. We need to embrace that we can't know everything, all the the possible constraints and influences that are going to that are going to come to us over 
period of time that we're doing this. So what do we do? How do we, air quotes, manage right. this change, right? How do we steer it? How do we give it the best guidance? Right. So I think we, I, I, this is where I think the, um, the HSD right. theory of change, the way it's laid out, it can be useful because, you know, we know we're dealing with a complex adaptive system. Yeah. Maybe we should just pause for a moment for folks. This might be the very first podcast they've ever looked at. Of course. HSD stands for Human Systems Dynamics, and it comes from the Human Systems Dynamics Institute, in which Sharon and I have both um, been involved for a couple of years now. So, Right, and, and there's, they have a very good website, and right. they have a good wiki, and um, all of that's available online, of course. Right. So, um, so you were talking about the HSD theory of change. All right. So, so first we, um, we, we would recognize that we're dealing with a complex adaptive system, um, and that that has certain properties and, um, um, that when you look at any complex system like that, um, and you look at a dilemma or a problem you, you can use the notion of um, adaptive action as a lens to, to look at that through. And adaptive action means that you, you ask the question, what? You know, what's going on? What are we, what are, what's the issue? What are we dealing with? What patterns do we see? Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we then say, so what? Yeah. What is what? What is that causing downstream? Um, where are we seeing that showing up? Is is yeah. that something we want to amplify? Is that something we want to dampen? Um, and then we look at now what, which is a set of potential actions um, to accomplish what we think we need to accomplish, and that by seeing and understanding and influencing patterns. Mm-hmm. We can set the conditions for self-organizing that enable people to use that those cycles of adaptive action over and over again um, as the means by which they make sense mm-hmm. out of the world around them and what's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. Is is that a fair description? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's important, in my experience, it's important to understand that you really, you can have a sense, you, you, pay, you, you go through that the first, the first time around, say. We've done our first real assessment of what is, what do we see? And what, build our awareness of the current state. Right. What's going on here? What what are so, the current patterns? How are they serving us? Are you know, are they fit for our purpose? Are they not? Who's involved? All, what, how, in what ways are they interacting to create these patterns? All that kind of stuff. And then as we and, and then do the so what as you're talking about what what are the implications of what we've just learned about it, so on. And that as we get to the now what, we might be able to develop some sense of 
this is the this is the first thing we're going to the first experiment we're going to do the first thing we're going to put into place this is the first way we are going to assess that as we come back around in the next iteration and i think what my experience has been is that you can never really expect to have a sense of how that is going to reoccur and reoccur more than about three cycles out. Like you can say, this is the action I'm going to take this time, and for right now we're sort of thinking the next action we'll take is this, and the one after that will likely be that. Mm -hmm. And after that, you're kind of cooked because, mm-hmm. because you really cannot know what what the outcomes of this this initial action is going to be and how that might affect this and that and certainly anything that comes after and so it there is some you know there is some steering that you can do and it's not like you're only ever um constrained to the present moment you know, we can never look beyond the now. Yeah. I mean, that would just frustrate everybody. And it's not how it has to be. Um, but also we have to keep ourselves from trying to look too far out. Because it's waste, right? Mm-hmm. Spending very much time planning too far out when we really don't know what, how the, condition, what the conditions are going to be like when we get there is is a waste of everybody's time. And if we're, you know, if we've got our lean hats on, the last thing we want to do is create waste. Right? You know, it yeah. reminds me that that whole that whole way of thinking reminds me of of how I used to feel inside when when people would say, "Where do you want to be 10 years yeah. from now?" Yeah. And I would think, "Why does anyone know think that they know where they're going to be 10 years from now?" You know, I mean, when you're 25 or 30, do you have a clue what your life's going to look like 10 years down the road? I don't think so. Or even looking back. Right. I mean, I always challenge people, well, look back, put yourself back to where you were 10 years ago. Would you have predicted where you are today? Right, exactly. Give me a break. Exactly. (laughs) That's certainly never been true in my life. (laughs) No, it's not. Now, it's, it's true in the sense, like, you, you could say, um, well, if I'm 30 years old and somebody says, where are you going to be 10 years from now? Uh, if I want to visualize myself as, uh, you know, still working in the corporate world or whatever, mm-hmm. that's one thing. If I if I think that, um, oh, heck, I, I'm going to go, you know, be a beach bum. I mean, that's, okay, a really different scenario. Right. But... So, I mean, right. I suppose there's some, you, you could kind of say, well, I, I know I'm still going to be working. I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing, yeah. but I, I want to be working and growing. Well, you could say, I I hope I will still be working. That's true. You don't because know how your health is going to be. You don't know what your health is going to be. You don't know what other accents. You don't know if you're going to win the lottery. You may know whether or not you're likely to buy a ticket. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> so you could say if if, yeah. if reasonable conditions, yeah, if hold. things continue as they are now, right? I I yeah. would expect that. Yeah, that 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 that. Yeah, which right. they won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
so back to kind of so, organizations. So yeah. at an organizational level, if you're um, if you're a an airline, say, yeah, you could probably reasonably predict that from ten, ten years from now, you're still going to be an airline, right? Right. You don't know what routes you're going to be flying. Right. You don't know if you're going to shrink, if you're going to grow, right. if jet fuel prices are going to, you know, double. If a couple of your pilots right. are going to make a bad decision about how high to come in and what speed to come into SFO and end up ditching the plane on the runway, how predictable is that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with Boeing because I am pretty sure that as they were putting together the Dreamliner, they were not planning to have battery issues with it that was going to stall out the deployment of a whole bunch of those airplanes. They were not expecting that one of their customer airlines was going to have a couple of pilots who would, you know, crash at San Francisco airport. Right. Are and you referring to the crash that just yeah, happened? Yeah, it was a Boeing plane, Boeing 777. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, you know, I I would imagine there are some very surprised people at Boeing right now, <laughs> no matter what their plans had been. Right. Right. We just, there. what we can know is that unexpected events will occur. What we can't know is the exact nature of those events. Right. So in some ways, we have to plan for the unexpected. Mm -hmm. We have to say there are going to be constraints that we don't know about right now. There are going to be events that are going to influence our decisions that we don't currently have access to. Right. I, I think uh, in our in the most recent... Um, HSD event we were at, Glenda Oyang, who's the founder of the field, talked about what we can know and what we can know we don't know. We're going to find it out. And what's just unknowable? Mm -hmm. What we can know is that there are unknowable things. Right. And that actually is a huge advantage, not ignoring that but really knowing that there are going to be some things that we just can't possibly know yet until other events unfold. So so the illusion yeah. of security... That everything's either known or knowable. Right. right. And so the illusion of, of right. security and safety and being prepared and all of those things. Right. Yeah. By definition, in a complex adaptive system, can't be true. I mean, it right. can't exist. And so I think the best we can hope for as we think about change is, is developing a set of tools that enable us to, at all times, be able to intervene on patterns that aren't serving us well, Right. And tweak them, shape them, move them. Uh, and that's very different than trying to um, have a change master plan where people right. get better at, you know, uh, well, rolling we, out project time right. 
timelines or something. What we need to get better at is thinking systemically and recognizing patterns. Right. The faster we can recognize patterns as they move and change and shift, the better, the more we are, we can influence how those go. And the more we can adapt, tune and adapt, as we say in, in Agile, the more we can do that, it really relies on how good are we at recognizing the patterns that we're working in and and challenging our own assumptions and all of that kind of thing that comes out of the systems thinking world. Double loop learning. Um, not only working, thinking about solving the problem, but thinking about how we're solving the problem mm -hmm. and what influence that has. All of those things become more critical management tools. Right. It's not only managing change, it's managing in general, because, of course, the world is always changing. Of course. I mean, our favorite little acronym now, the VUCA world, right? Yeah, right. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. That's the nature of the world, mm -hmm. and has been since time immemorial. Yeah, I, we just refused to recognize it right. until recently. <laughs> right. Well, um, a long time ago, I read a book by um, a, a therapist uh, named uh, Paul Václavic, and the book was called Change. Mm. But it was really about personal change and his work with his clients in his in his therapeutic setting. But right at the beginning of the book, he talked about, you know, that change, is, change actually is the norm. Right. That, you know, and, and at some point the Greeks came up with this, the Greek philosophers came up with this concept of stability, and then they put change in opposition for it because they love to think in dualities, and then all of a sudden change became the bad thing. When in fact, of course, it's the constant thing. It's it's the lot, the world we live in is always changing. And even you know before we were civilized, when we were nomads, we knew that seasons change mm -hmm. in unpredictable ways. Herds mm -hmm. come or they don't. Mm -hmm. um, I you know, and that was just the nature of life. Right. Right. Is that things are it's. And it's what makes it interesting, as far as I'm concerned. It also is what makes it scary. But it's how we respond to the changes. It's how we think about them. It's how we, um, how we interact, how we deal, how we cope. How we make meaning. How we make meaning of the change. Mm -hmm. That right. makes a difference. Right. That really makes a difference. So if we just embrace it, the very one of the first extreme programming books was called uh, "Embrace Change," and it was about extreme programming. If we embrace change and say, "This is how the world is," let's get good at living in this world. Let's think systemically. Let's let's look for patterns. Let's get good at those things. I think you it know, makes a huge difference. You know, as you were saying that, I was I was just thinking about. Um, resilient people and yeah. resilient organizations. Yeah. And when you when you think about resilient people, they're people who respond to change or often characterized as a bad thing. Yeah. You know, some bad event happens to them or whatever. Yeah. 
but they it's how they choose to respond to that that is what makes them resilient they find some way to make meaning of it where it isn't just oh poor me poor me i'm a victim blah 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 yeah. well that's true of organizations too so yeah. so i i've never quite thought about it that way and Maybe I won't ever again, but even things, but in the moment, even it makes things sense. we think of as good things, mm-hmm. I mean, the, can be seen as stressful. Can be or seen difficult. as stressful, and you know, you win the lottery, right? Right. Some people are resilient enough to win the lottery and have that turn out to be a good thing for them. Oh yes, and some but people say it was the worst thing that ever happened. It was the worst thing that ever happened, right? And it is a lot. I mean, exactly what you're saying. It's it's not that it's not the conditions. Thing. It's not that conditions are good or bad. It really is how we respond to them, how we make meaning of them, as you said, mm-hmm. and then how we choose to. Well, making meaning to some degree is: is this fit for my purpose? Does this serve me? This the way things are now, and if it doesn't, how do I want to shift it? If it does, what can I do to make it last a little longer, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And but knowing that a little longer is probably all you're going to get, <laughs> right? 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 Yeah. So, do you think any of this will be useful when you talk with your client about change management? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, um, you know, I, I think about the other firm or firms that are likely to present much more, um, you know, linear mm-hmm. packages of, you know, well, we do this and we teach people that and da da And the challenge will be to present this in a way that, um, you know, can stand up to that um, without getting caught up in that, you know. Yeah, maybe maybe one way is to start with that question. What question? What if you ask the people in the room? Yes. What, you know, do you have, have you had 10-year goals for yourself? Where were you 10 years ago? Did your goals predict where you are now? Mm-hmm. And how closely did things follow that path? Just as kind of a grounding in <laughs> this ain't how the world works, right? Because everyone there will have had their own experience. And some people will say, I wanted to be in upper level management in this kind of organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they may have been able to work a plan. But mm-hmm. there, will, I will bet there are a lot of people in the room who will say, I expected to become an airline pilot. Mm-hmm. But now I'm a this, or I expected to be a forest ranger, but now I'm a this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I think that's, it's like, so how do we, where did, we, the same with this organization. Ten years ago, did we expect that this organization would be dealing with the kinds of issues and the, the kinds of conditions that it is dealing with right now? How can we possibly predict what it will be doing 10 years from now? But can we find a path to to make that 10 years as the most productive it could be? 
Absolutely. And here's how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sounded pretty good to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, okay. I think we yeah. should wrap it up for I today. I think we should, yeah. <laughs> so we, we're interested in your views also about change and change management and uh, what you're doing to influence change and recognize patterns in your own organization. Please leave your comments on our blog or email us info at futureworksconsulting.com. This has been episode two of season four of Partnerships and Possibilities. Thanks for listening.